I'm dressed a little differently today, if you don't know me. I'm normally in shorts and a t-shirt and bare feet. But I learned something this week. See, Nathan and I went to a pastor's conference on Friday for Baptist pastors. And I didn't realise that there's actually a dress code for pastors who stand up in front of people. Did you know that? I met a friend of mine there that, um, that I hadn't seen for a while and he chuckled and pointed out that every guy that stood on the stage was wearing tan leather shoes, right? You've got to wear chinos. I didn't quite have tan chinos, but they, they all wore tan. And you've got to have a shirt that looks like it comes from Tarakash, right? And so I thought today, I thought, I've, been, I've been thinking about how I can take my preaching to the next level. And I was like, it, I, I've hit the jackpot. I've struck gold. I've got the wisdom of some other pastors, and this it's going to make all the difference this morning. I hope my preparation's more than what I dress, but anyway. But yeah, so there you go. So um, I've come prepared today. But it's an interesting idea because there's so much that we can learn. Now, in that case, you might go, it wasn't really the jackpot and, and you know, light bulb moment for me, but there's so much that we can learn and there's so many opportunities and, and I honestly do constantly go, how can I share what God's given me better? There's so much to learn. And yet along the way, there's so many things that we do that we actually stuff up and we make mistakes. Sometimes we make repeated mistakes, but sometimes we just do silly things. I want to share with you just to make you feel a bit about your mistakes, some stories from the internet that I found in, in looking for some stuff this week. So these are three little stories that people shared. My brother once used the toaster to heat up a butter knife so he could cut some cheese. To be fair, we were young and not allowed to use the sharp knives. So this was his idea of cutting cheese because he wasn't allowed to use a sharp knife. My ex-roommate used my plastic cutting board as a pizza tray. The house was filled with smoke and the smell of melted plastic. We never could completely remove all the plastic from the several oven racks and we didn't get our bond back. Surprise, surprise. And here's one that's mind-blowing, but mums can understand they're often wearing 15 hats and... Yeah, spread pretty thin. My mum often used the longest knife we have in the kitchen to get things she can't reach from the top shelf. So there you go. All three stories reflect the same thing. And that is people make choices and decisions without actually knowing a better way. None of those people went, you know what, I feel like doing something silly today. They all went, well, this seems like a good solution at the time. This, this seems like a good idea at the time. And yet they still make mistakes. And we, we do the same. We, I mean, we can laugh at them. But the reality is we make silly mistakes because we don't know better. One time I'd been working really, really hard, late nights, early mornings. It's no excuse, by the way. But I was up early, heading to work in early because I knew I had a massive day's work. And I worked in St Kilda and lived in Oakley. And as I was driving there, I was turning from a, a small street into a larger street, and there was already at six o'clock in the morning a fair bit of traffic as I was approaching work. And I looked up and I, and I did a head check both ways to see when I could get a gap in the traffic. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw the median strip post, the post on the median strip as a reference point of where to drive. And so I found a gap in the traffic and I headed out. 
And all of a sudden, there was this almighty clunk. And at that point, I thought I was driving on the road. And so my mind went, what on earth have I just hit? Have I just run over a kid? I have no idea. Because I'd convinced myself that I was on the road. I pulled over and looked out the back window and I'd flattened the keep left sign. The sign was sort of this high and the sign next to it was this high and so I referenced this sign as where to drive and flattened the keep left sign. And I was pretty shaken because I didn't know what, uh, what I'd hit at first and, and you know, your mind wanders. And I got to work and I'd made a little bit of a mess of uh, the car my brothers and I shared at the front, fortunately between the headlight and the, and the um, radiator, so I hadn't destroyed anything, it could, it could run fine. Um, but, um, but because I was shaken up, I had no idea what to do. Like, do I have to report this to the police? Do I have to, what do I do? So I called my brother, and he worked at Monash Council as an engineer, and so, so he gave me some advice on how to relate with councils, which was, which was excellent. But at the time, I A, needed some advice that in my mindset I couldn't compute, but I also B, have learnt to drive better as a result of that experience. I pay a little bit more attention now that I didn't pay then. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. This, this year, we're looking at practising the ways of Jesus. And this month, the part of that that we want to focus on that, that's really significant in the life of Jesus is how Jesus did community. Because Jesus did community really well. And, and we're looking this month at how we live in community well like Jesus lived in community well. And one of the things that Jesus did brilliantly in community was a word that we call discipleship. Now, you won't actually find the word discipleship in the Bible. Um, it's not actually there. Um, but it is, a, it is there in, in concept, just not in word. Because a disciple is simply someone who follows Jesus, who is a student or a disciple of Jesus. Someone who is committed to his ways. And so, so again, we, the word Christian is another word for a disciple. A Christian is a, is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. But the word discipleship is the act of discipling others or making disciples. This is what Jesus explained about discipleship in Matthew 28. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So part of being a Jesus follower is making disciples. So if you are a disciple, you are a disciple maker. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a disciple maker. It, it flowed out of who Jesus was. He was amazing at taking opportunities, at getting alongside people, at nurturing them, at discipling them. Jesus' followers weren't just going around telling people the good news of Jesus. They did that. We call that evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus. And that was part of being a disciple too. But once they responded to that good news, it was still the responsibility of the disciple, the follower of Jesus, 
to coach them, to teach them, to train them, to equip them, to prepare them, to make disciples of those that responded. And that is the role of a disciple. Just some verses in the New Testament, Titus 2.4, older women are to train your younger women. Ephesians 6.4, fathers are to train their children. Hebrews 3.13, all Christians are to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and to stir each other up to love and good works. If you love, you will disciple. That's, that's Jesus' model. Discipling is, is an essential part of being a Jesus follower. And it's not just an essential part, but it's a lifelong journey. Because, as I said before, we all make mistakes. We all have areas we can grow in. And, and anyone that thinks they've made it and don't make any mistakes, that's your first mistake. Like, we all have opportunities to grow, and we all have an opportunity to disciple one another, to teach, to train, to encourage, to exhort. 1 Peter 2, 2 2-3, beautifully phrased. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Crave pure spiritual milk. Cry out for this nourishment. The idea of learning and growing and maturing so that we're fruitful is part of being a Jesus follower. I'm super attached to Ephesians 4. I love Ephesians 4 in terms of looking at the life of the church and and measuring what success looks like, I guess. Some people look at numbers and performance and stuff. For me, Ephesians 4 is a really, really healthy way of looking at success. And it says this in response to teaching and maturity. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole church fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Is that a cool picture? Like, is that a cool picture of, of what, we're, what we're going for as a, as a body of people that gather? I think that's just amazing. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Growing is part of community, part of practicing the ways of Jesus. We are always students of Jesus. We are always pursuing being healthy and growing and full of love. That doesn't stop. Now, you may think of discipleship as a program, like YWAM as a discipleship training school, DTS. Yep, that is discipleship. Fantastic. You may think of discipleship as, you know, preaching sermons. Yep, that is discipleship. 
You may think of discipleship as mentoring someone further along in their journey of faith, get along someone, someone who's younger in their faith. Yep, that is discipleship. I believe that if we have the right mindset, the right perspective, every single relationship has the possibility to be discipleship. There's, there's programs and there's structures and, and, and I'm, I'm all for those. They're brilliant, they're necessary, they're required. But sometimes we sit back and we say, we'll let the program disciple someone. And that actually robs us of something that Jesus designed for all of us to do in our relationships. And that is, if I'm a disciple, I'm a discipler. You might say to yourself, but I'm not a pastor or a teacher. Like, how can you say you want me to be a discipler when I'm not qualified as a discipler? Jesus knew you were going to ask that question. And so he said in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I say to you. So he knew that you weren't going to be adequate as a discipler. He knew you weren't going to have enough. And the role of the Holy Spirit is as a helper to teach and remind you of what Matt said. No, not what Matt said, what Jesus said. We have the Spirit to help us disciple, to remind us of what we've learned, to remind us sometimes of things we haven't even learned. The number of times I'm in a conversation and feel prompted to say something, and as I'm saying it, I'm going, this is really good. I should remember this. It's phenomenal. As you let the Holy Spirit lead your conversations, you actually end up saying things that you feel the Spirit's prompted you with. You go, that's actually really good. I wish I thought of that. It's, it's actually really beautiful when you trust the Holy Spirit in your discipleship relationships. The other beautiful thing is that as you posture and think about yourself as a discipler, as someone that disciples others, you actually want to get your act together. You actually want to go deeper. You want to, you want to learn more. You want to model better. If I'm telling my kids something and I'm not doing it myself, I look like a goose. So I work on doing it myself well so I can teach them better. And, and we've got this beautiful dynamic that when you recognize that you're a discipler, then you actually work on your own healthiness more. I get more out of every message I preach than you will ever get. My preparation, I feel a little spoilt to be able to deliver messages because I actually get so much out of preparing. But I'm like, wow, I wish everybody had that opportunity to prepare messages because I want to do it well. I want to deliver well. I want to make sure that what I'm saying is what God wants to say. And so preparing well means I get so much more out of what I share than what you get. What a genius design by God. That when he calls us to disciple, he knows we're not adequate. He knows that we need the spirit, but he also knows it's going to spur us on 
to live, to hunger, to, to go deeper so that we grow as we disciple others. It's an amazing, beautiful model. It's genius, something that only God could come up with. There's two things I want us all to remember today. The first one is, discipleship is God's design for you and our community to grow in maturity. It's not the only way we grow, but it is definitely fundamental in his design. He's designed us to live in community and he's designed us to disciple. That's his design. And we want to embrace that. We want to run with that. We want to own that. We want to wrestle with the fact that we feel inadequate because we all feel that too. That's, that's part of this as well, wrestling with what that feels like. But the second thing I want you to understand and realize is that you don't actually have to have all the answers. One of the biggest barriers people have to being encouraging and supporting and, and discipling others is they feel like they need to have all the answers. You don't actually have to have all the answers. You just have to have the right questions. You see, we are not actually the experts. We are not actually the custodians of wisdom and truth. We have some aspects of it, but when we start thinking that we are custodians of truth, then we actually no longer become teachable. And we go, we've already, we've already established that we need to keep learning and growing. And so I'm not trying to create disciples of Matt because disciples of Matt will only be limited to my capacity, my knowledge, my wisdom. And they're likely to make the same mistakes I make because all those things are limited and flawed because I'm not God. We're making disciples of Jesus. And if we're making disciples of Jesus, then we want people to depend and trust on the amazing wisdom of Jesus. Not Matt's wisdom. And so there might be some experiences that I've had that Jesus has taught me, and that's great. I can share those. But what's even better is if I can lead people to the source. Two questions are really, really beneficial in discipling. And if you only remember these two questions, you're 90% of the way there. The two questions are, what is Jesus saying? And what are you going to do about it? What is Jesus saying? And what are you going to do about it? Now, these aren't legalistic questions. They're not, they're not, they're not sort of um, the rule that you have to say them and you have to say them that way. They're just two simple ideas that from a heart of love and from a heart of wanting to see someone grow are two beautiful questions that require you to listen to the answer. Those who did Activate Group and Tanya shared about listening to people. In love, you can ask the question about what is Jesus saying and what are you going to do about it? And then you listen and then you encourage and you stand alongside them. The most common answer to the first question, what do you think it is? I don't know. Now, you don't have to be a genius when someone says that. What's the next question? 
what are you going to do about it? So even if they say, I don't know, you can still move on to the second question. What are you going to do about it? Maybe I'll listen, maybe I'll read the word, maybe I'll pray, maybe, maybe I'll get alongside someone who I respect and, and ask them about how do, you, how do you know what Jesus is saying. Everybody's different and everyone's on a journey, but all I'm saying is that with those two questions, you can encourage and you can say, yes, go for it. I love that you have a sense of what you might do about that. Can I pray for you? Can I read the Bible with you? That person, if, if you're feeling a bit anxious about asking them, do you want me to go with you? All of a sudden, you're in this dynamic of being able to support someone in whatever circumstance they're in. Mistakes are a given. Answering, I don't know, is not failure. It's a beautiful opportunity for growth. Every answer to those two questions is a beautiful opportunity for growth. And when we look at people with love and compassion and a desire to see them grow in their knowledge and intimacy with Jesus, then this oozes out. This starts becoming more natural, starts becoming who we are. It's an essential part of being a Jesus follower. And it's an essential part of being his community, the church. About a month ago, I had a week's retreat. And as I shared the Sunday before that, I'm eager to, to be able to answer that first question and answer that second question. And it's different every time someone asks, what's Jesus saying to you? And, and so taking a week out is a really valuable way for me and all three of us do it during the year. Take a week out just to step aside, to put things aside and to say, okay, God, what are you saying? What's, what's something that I need to hear? Often you like to hear encouraging things. You like it when God does that, don't you? But this particular week, I had a beautiful friend say, oh, you've got your retreat week. Love to catch up with you. Knowing what the agenda of my retreat week is, so I knew they weren't coming to, to, for me to work because it's obviously a retreat week's different. And as the conversation went on, they actually had something to share with me that was a weakness and a flaw in me. That they loving me as a brother said, I can see something that's not right in you. There was no confusion that they love me. They're not pulling me down. They're not, they're not, they're not trying to put me back in my box. They're sharing this with me because they love me. And I said, so what's your answer? What's your solution? And this is for those of you that, that are discouraged about discipling because you don't think you have the answers, right? So I put this dear friend that put their neck on the line to tell me the truth, what's the answer? And they said to me, I don't know, but you've got to do something different. I don't know, but you've got to do something different. And that resonated in my head. 
that echoed in my head for the next two days as I whinged and, and threw tantrums at God about, you know, how it wasn't my fault and it was the world's fault and what, what he wanted me to deal with was someone else's problem. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the three-year-old tantrums that we do when we're not three. We've all been there. And so I spent a couple of days and this just kept echoing in my head. Don't know what the answer is, but you've got to do something. And I realised in my tantrum... I didn't want to be part of the solution. I wanted the solution to come elsewhere from someone else doing something, not me. And he had no idea that that was actually what I needed to hear. He probably went away feeling like a goose, going, I told him the problem, but I wasn't part of the solution. <laughs> told him I don't know the solution. And yet, as I went away and said to God, what are you saying that simple little, I don't have an answer, but you've got to do something different, actually made a profound difference. So that was the Wednesday night, the Thursday and Friday. I wasn't probably in the best space, but I was talking with God, just it was one way. I was telling him what I thought. But when I realised that I'd reached the end of my capacity, I said, okay, God, maybe I need to start listening to you here. What a loving act to do from a brother in Christ. That is what discipleship is. That's what discipleship is. He loved me enough to get alongside me. Now, he had some insight which I didn't have. He had some input which I needed to grow, like our three stories at the start. Hey, that's not how you use a toaster. Hey, Matt, that's not the best way to, to do this. He lovingly pointed that out to me. But he wasn't my saviour. He wasn't the answer to my problems. But he knew where the answer was. And as I sought the Lord, there was clarity, there was freedom, there was, I had to apologise to God. I'd stuffed up. I need to say sorry and I want to do better. It's called repentance. But in that place, I was able to grow because a brother looked at me through the lens of discipleship. No formal role, no formal title. We haven't said, you know, you're going to be my discipler. But we just have an agreement that that is how we love one another. And if that's how we love one another, then that's what it looks like. Awkward conversations that are in a place of going, I so want the best for you. I, I hope you're inspired. I hope you're encouraged. And I hope you believe that you have the capacity to be a beautiful influence on those around you. Because that is my heart. That's my desire. That's what I believe my role here is to, is to do, is to champion the church to be what the church was designed to be. And so my heart today is that, is that you go, you know what, I walked in not believing that I'm a discipler, but now I still don't believe it, but I believe maybe I can. Or maybe you walked in going, yeah, you know what, I'm not really intentionally discipling anyone at the moment, 
But you walk out going every single conversation, every single relationship, every single person, to my spouse, to my kids, to my Activate group, to the person I talk in in the shop, is an opportunity to help them grow and learn and trust God more. Every single time, every single space. Because that is God's genius design for the church. And it's a good design and I would really, really encourage you to get on board. Let's pray. Lord God, we just love your ways. We love that you have a beautiful plan. And Lord, we apologize. We're sorry. We confess we stuff it up. Lord, we confess that sometimes people are just inconvenience roadblocks to getting somewhere. And yet, Lord, you have designed community. You've called us to be the church, the gathered because you want to see us growing, healthy, and loving. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to inspire us. Holy Spirit, for all our weaknesses, we acknowledge there's many. We make mistakes, and Lord, we will keep making mistakes. But Holy Spirit, we pray that you will, you will be our coach. You will be our provider, that you will be our inspiration. And when we've run out of words, Lord God, we just trust that you are enough. We thank you so much that you are present and you are eager to lead and guide us. Remind us of what Jesus taught us, Lord. Holy Spirit, keep reminding us. Lord, keep reminding us to step in and ask those questions, Lord. Lord, we thank you for community. We thank you for what you're creating. And Lord, we just say we want to be part of it by your strength and your leading. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.